CoinRow Plus is your new way to collect, manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinRow Plus at CoinRowPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the Coin World Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Coin World Podcast. I'm Jeff Stark. And I'm so happy to hear your voice and know that you're backstage side. I'm Larry Jewett, and welcome back from Berlin. Hey, thanks. It's been um, it's been quite a trip, quite a show. Uh, busy, 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 uh, as you can imagine. I know uh, you've not been there, and really, you can't grasp the full scope of it until you've been there. But it's it's uh, such a, a marathon, such a an event. Uh, I I won't say I was partaking, but there were many people uh, partaking in the after hours uh, confabs uh, dis discussions sessions in the Estrell lobby until the wee hours of the morn. Uh, many many days, and uh, it's it's just unlike any other show. So you're going to get to hear uh, Sebastian Wachowski and I discuss our thoughts about this year's edition, the changes that took place and all that uh, in just a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, wow, it's um, head still spinning. There was so much stuff out there on the floor and so many story ideas and uh, new contacts and all that. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you talk about the after hours gatherings and it seems to me, if I remember the history, right, that in after hours gatherings about 40 years ago, we ended up with the modern uh, third third party grading services because of some of those after hour type gatherings. So it's just the whole experience. And I look forward to hearing about you and you and Sebastian. Hope Sebastian as well. It's been a while since since we've connected. So uh, it, it'll be great to hear that, of course. A lot of things going on in the world, uh, in the uh, domestic side as well. We kind of held the fort down while you were here, but uh, we'll have some more to talk about. We've got a very special guest lined up for you next episode, and we'll be enjoying the opportunity to talk about a new commemorative coins that are coming out. That's going to be next time on the Coin World Podcast. But right now, let's, uh, as we typically do right about this time of the show, we take a look at what happened historically. We mentioned about the uh, the after-hours gatherings leading to the third-party grading services. And so now that's history, but there had to be a lot of history this time of year. What did you find in your delving back into the numismatic history books? So, uh, yeah, this is kind of a, um, I don't want to say light week, but uh, it, it's not... Um, maybe not as robust as um as i was hoping um in any event uh we go to february 9th 1854 that's when the kellogg and company issued gold 20 dollar pieces into circulation in san francisco and i saw that note and i got thinking um you know that that recalls our interview with Don Kagan a few months back, and and his new book that uh, debuted at the ANA show in August. Uh, Kellogg and Company was one of those private and pioneer 
gold minters and uh, you know San Francisco history, the, the history of the gold rush. It, it's just a fun story uh, there. So th that's what really jumped out at me. I mean, I can point to February 7th, 1863, when Samuel Upham advertised $20,000 in facsimile rebel notes available for $5 in the Harper's Weekly. That is a callback to um, a previous show as well, when we talked about uh, counterfeit currency and Confederate currency and all that. Um, but you know nothing that was a landmark in the sense of a, a benchmark in American or world numismatics, but certainly some some interesting points of reference, if you will, interesting moments, and uh, that's what I gleaned or pulled away uh, this week. Well, and it's interesting you went back into the 1850s because I just recently got my first issue of the Civil War era numismatics. Now you may remember we talked recently about the Civil War Token Society. And there was an article in there from the 1850s about the Confederate cent. And that was uh, one that I just finished reading prior to uh, our recording session here. So I found it interesting that you chose that at particular era, albeit it wasn't around that type of currency or that type of money, but it's still, I've been enjoying the Civil War era numismatics that uh, I got volume number 58, number one, just the other day in the mail. And been getting a lot of mail here lately, been uh, trying to acquire some more books. There's some uh, new books coming out on many different subjects here. And certainly uh, when I was at the Fun Show, picked up four books. So it's just great to have some of this material on hand for the reading that uh, comes in handy. Because when you're ever looking for something to do, whether you're living in some place where the weather turns bad on you, the books are always right there to help you out. And it always is helpful, too, to go back to use them as a reliable reference source. Uh, speaking of reliable uh, reference sources, uh, you have something to say to that? Well, yeah, I, I was going to say uh, I couldn't go to the World Money Fair and not come home with a bag of books, uh, including, although it's uh, they're in German, I got, um, as a member of the World Money Fair Club, uh, which was a new thing they established, uh, I was able to claim a book on the Krugerrand, which uh, naturally, it's in German. It's a German coin show, uh, but that's a, a hefty reference. Very neat, um, neat piece. Also picked up uh, another volume in the fourteen or fifteen volume series on German, in, uh, in not Geld and inflationary money from that nineteen fourteen to nineteen twenty four period. Last year, I got seven of the books. This year, I got another book for that. So I'm eight, eight books in uh, on that series. Uh, got a book about uh, French mint history. Um, there's something else. Oh, uh, and a couple other German books on um, the money of concentration camps and um, anti-Semitic um, notes and, and the, the, the sort of the tone around those, how they were issued, why they were issued, uh, the issuers, that sort of thing. So uh, a nice haul uh, from the show to go with my one coin, which you'll hear referenced in, I think, in the uh, interview. Okay, yeah. And when you get that last book that you mentioned, when you're done with that, send it my way. I'd like to see that. But anyway, uh, you know, so talking about references, uh, we, Coin World has been a reference for a lot of numismatists throughout more than 60 years now. 
And uh, what was the what was the first year that you were able to make it over to Berlin? So I joined the staff full time. Actually, um, as we record this, and uh, it's tomorrow, and uh, as the episode drops, it's probably today, exactly twenty years ago, uh, two thousand four. My first World Money Fair was two thousand six, which was not. Uh, which, which was rather coincidentally uh, the first year that the show was held in Berlin. Before that, it had been held in Basel, Switzerland. It was a little more difficult to get to. It was certainly a smaller show at the time, but a very important show nonetheless. And certainly the move to Berlin in 2006 and the Estrell Convention Center helped facilitate the show's growth to um, uh, to a behemoth a juggernaut <laughs> i mean it it is uh, the the astral has been added on a few times and um they're actually building an astral tower across the road uh one end of the convention center across that road and uh, i don't know that that will facilitate that won't facilitate more growth in the show it might allow for more hotel rooms or something i'm not Certainly not not 100 percent sure, but the the Estrell is landlocked and maxed out and it's it's the biggest place around. Um, there is no other place that they can put that show in uh, Berlin or my understanding in uh, Western Europe that's offers the, the amenities that are there. And um, certainly the Estrell leverages that with um, with its. Um, pricing and all that, but um, it's the place to be as um, the then director, Barbara Balls, coined the term back in 2006. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. You'll hear more about that in a minute. I guess you were asking 2006 though, because that's the year that I went back for this week in coin world history. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, and we go to the February 6, 2006 issue, and uh, our um, good friend, former colleague, Michelle Orzano, had the story on the front page, Design Makeover Likely for the $5 Federal Reserve Note, FRN. Treasury officials may reverse position on notes redesign. Uh, the story goes, Americans may soon see a new look to the $5 Federal Reserve note. Larry R. Felix, newly appointed director of the Bureau Engraving and Printing, told CoinWorld January 19th, it's very likely we will redesign the $5 note. Um, that was not the only goal for Felix, who had just joined the BEP and who has now since retired, I should note. Um, if the BEP moves forward with the denomination's redesign, it would verse the Treasury Department's prior position. Well, hindsight 2020, we know that that $5 note was indeed redesigned. Don't exactly remember the timing of it, but that giant portrait of Lincoln that was slightly off-center on the face of the note with the, the oval, uh, that look has morphed to the more colorful note we see in our pockets today. And, uh, you know, hey, we, so a lot of times we focus on coin stuff for the um, this week in coin world history. I thought that would be fun to uh, take a look uh, at something notable, no pun intended, uh, in paper money history. 
That make, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, as a matter of fact, and uh, it's great to look back at those types of things. In fact, there's a letter on the letters page that was talking about it's note related. And it said it's a very brief letter it says maybe it's me. But if they want to retire the dollar bill and use dollar coins, we need $5, $10, $20, and maybe $25 coins. Well, we see that idea didn't go much of anywhere, but uh, there are such animals in some of those denominations, just not circulation. There is a letter here on the February 6, 2006 issue. It hits a little close to home. It says, can't believe it. I just can't believe that the people we elect to represent us in our government can be so foolish. I'm talking about the passing of the presidential dollar series. Now, the reason why, as an aside, why it hits home is because I just bought two of them last week. Anyway, and then to be made with the same metal composition as our present ugly and failed Sacagawea dollar series. I can only wonder if anyone in Congress has seen a Sacagawea dollar coin after it's been in circulation for a couple of months. Anyone who's collecting a roll set of successful state quarters can tell you how difficult it is if you're getting the rolls from the banks. And this is the quarter dollar being the workhorse coin of the U.S. economy. Can you imagine trying to assemble the presidential dollar series from banks? It'll never happen. The banks don't want them, so they are certainly not going to request them from the Federal Reserve for a few collectors. Let's get real. The program was passed with only one thing in mind to make millions for our greedy government and seniorage profits while the coins are stored away in guarded governmental buildings for years to oxidize away while the taxpayers, you and me, get to foot the storage bills. This will be a repeat of the life of our unpopular Anthony Dollar. I'm also sure that the U.S. Mint will make them available to anyone for at least double face value. You can't expect them to be satisfied with the approximate 90, per, 90 cents per coin. I understand that a first spouse's coin was also approved. What a joke. Where's the offspring coin? Some of our presidents did have children. I'll definitely pass on this one. That was from Roger Niewandowski, who was, uh, had his ad address withheld. An editor's note followed that, simply saying the legislation authorizing the presidential dollars while requiring they be made of the same composition as the Sacagawea dollar, does require mint officials to explore means of making the coins remain tarnish-free for as long as possible without incurring undue expense. So there you have it. A couple of interesting letters from the February 6th, 2006 issue of Coin World. Yeah, and um, Roger there was... Um prescient a little bit you know the uh <laughs> come 2011 i think it was late in the year just december 2011 when then vice president biden made the announcement that the dollar coins uh, would be uh production would be halted in the at the levels that they had sustained uh previously and subsequent issues were then um mostly only available uh, by special order from the U.S. Mint. So um, interesting, again, always to look back in time and see what um, what people were thinking about and how uh, right or wrong they yeah, were. Yeah, interesting to me, too, because we don't seem to get near the volume of letters that we used to get 
And that's in turn because of other means of communication and that type of thing. But we still have the letters column in each and every one of the uh, weekly issues when there is an abundant supply of letters. So if you're inclined to send a letter, uh, check out the letters page, find out how you can get that message to us. And uh, if your letter is something that is uh, topical and interesting, then we're glad to put that in there. So. Absolutely. Hey, um, now that I've heard from you on the letters, I think it's time to put your trivia to the test, your trivia knowledge. And last episode, I wanted to ask a question based on uh, the interview that we had with Ron Jabutsky of uh, CAC Grading. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you paid attention to the interview, you should know the answer. The question was, how many coins had CIC grading graded to that point in January? Um, so this is this is sort of a, a, a bank shot, easy one, uh, slam dunk type thing. What is the answer? If I remember correctly, it was somewhere around 100,000. You do indeed remember correctly. It blows my mind that, I mean, we're talking just past the midpoint of the month of January. Already a hundred thousand. When you stop and think about Yeah, it's grading it's, services. Yeah. Are you uh yeah, it's it's a lot to fathom and um you know coming in every day and having uh hundreds and hundreds, thousands of coins to be looked at on a daily basis, just amazing. I just picture Scrooge McDuck with all those coins that he had back in the day and just trying to imagine every one of those going to a slab. So it's tough <laughs> to do. Think of the uh, storage volume that that would require. Much oh. bigger volume. <laughs> but it'd be more organized, that's for sure. And less chance yeah. of damage. So, Yeah, not as much fun to swim through plastic slabs. Yeah, they, they clack together. Yeah, you got that right. So anyway, hey, uh, since our minds are in Berlin, um, I wanted to know if you know the question, the answer to the question. Uh, you know, German mint today, there's five of them, and they all have a different mint mark to uh, designate their the coin's place of origin. So what is the current mint mark for the Berlin Mint. Aha, I, I know right where I can look and find that answer. So I'm just not going to give it up just yet. Okay, okay, cool. Well, hey, um, check out Sebastian and I's discussion of the show following here in just a few seconds. Um, there's so much that you and I, Larry, have to talk about um, that came out of the show, but also uh, the listeners just to get a better understanding of the global market that exists, um, especially for new issues and that kind of thing. It's, it's a fascinating trip to go uh, to the show, the World Money Fair, and uh, this year was no exception. Here is that discussion. Coin World Podcast is delighted today to be joined by Sebastian Wyshofsky, who uh, with me, uh, attended the World Money Fair in Berlin. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be on the podcast again. 
this seems to be become a, a kind of a tradition right now to recap the World Money Fair together, and I'm very delighted to do so. Yes, uh, this is the third time I think we've done this, and uh, so that that breaks new ground. We've had a couple guests on twice, but you're the first uh, three-time guest, so very good. We'll have to get you the um, sort of the um, like the Saturday Night Live's five-time hosting jacket or whatever club. I'm we'll working on that, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we got to catch up at uh, the, the World Money Fair, which has just concluded, and we're now back home from that. Um, this was a year of changes because there was a new uh, organizer in charge of the fair, uh, still still being run, the same owners, all that, but they had a, a new person in charge. There were some changes that were introduced. My, my quick take, my hot take was there were uh, fewer collectors there, I felt like there were fewer dealers there and uh, but it was still a very active and it's still a very important show. What, what is your take? Yeah, those are also my observations. There were definitely less uh, visitors, which is in part because uh, there was no free entrance on Sunday. So the last years, uh, everybody could get a free uh, admission ticket to the show and that Uh, cause a lot of people to to, to stop by who re did, don't have any connections to coin collecting, which was on the on one hand was interesting, but in the end, I would say it was mostly freebie hunters there, and they didn't want them to show up. So no uh, no free Sunday. Um, and as you say, it was definitely a year of changes. And also, if you compare this podcast to previous uh, podcasts on the World Money Fair. They had uh, implemented or they wanted to implement change uh, before and it failed and now it's a new uh, restart. And I must say it was kind of a success. So there were a lot of small changes. You already said they have this new guy running the show. He has not uh, any uh, relationships to the coin industry. He had, he is a, a, a fair uh, manager. So, for example, he had uh, re relaunched a boat fair in Germany, and that was very interesting because before it was mostly coin people that uh, took over the World Money Fair. So, and um... yes, yes, speaking of that, that's for me also, uh, there were not too many innovations when it comes to coins, um, but this was really the topic of this year, how to... Uh, how to how to implement innovation in such a traditional event you know i think one thing um that may trickle over into the american market is this use of an electronic ticketing system uh they tried to set this up uh make you go online ahead of time and buy your ticket to save time yeah. and reduce the queue uh the lines at the entrance points but that really Uh, was a mixed result. How would you uh, term it, and how would you describe it? Yeah, that's uh, one of the point. One of the few points that I where I really see um, room for improvement, because as you said, they introduced this online ticket system to, yeah, to get rid of the queue in front of the ticket booth, and now the queue just went right to the main entrance, and <laughs> people were waiting there 
I think half an hour or something until the last person got in. But I also, I do agree that there seems to be some sort of, um, yeah, development in the coin, uh, coin show world that new ways, new entrance technologies will be implemented in part because digitalization makes sense and also because of security reasons. So if you got to book your ticket in advance and you get a discount, you also you have to give your uh, information and they know who attends the show. So this is definitely a trend that's not limited to uh, Germany and Europe. And I would think, um, you know, for those who weren't there that are listening, you had to check yourself in and out of the show. There were people at the yeah. entrances. Uh, you have a, a, a printout, like I had something, you know, hanging um, on a lanyard, and you hold that up and they scan it. Other people who got um, tickets there at the door, it's this little paper printout, sort of like a, you know, grocery store receipt. And has a QR code or something, and and you hand uh, hand that over to be scanned. You have to scan in and out. Uh, so I ask a couple of folks, what was the, what benefit does that provide? And uh, you know, you you can tell how long people spend there at the show in a, in a given block. You know, mm -hmm. some person might go in there and spend four hours at the show. Somebody like us, we might be in for an hour and a half, go back to our room, uh, grab something uh, or, you know, run out to a meeting that's in the lobby and then go back into the show floor for a meeting and back and forth and all that. So uh, from a security standpoint, I, I still don't understand. I haven't been able to get why that um, or how that benefits folks and yeah. uh, the, the show organizers what are, what are your thoughts on that yeah i i also i don't really see what's the, the practical reason from a security standpoint um because yeah what, what do you want to keep track of so maybe it's just for general statistics uh, yeah, that was something I also I, I didn't find a solution. And also the official argument that they told was to reduce the queue at the ticket booth. And so just everybody could directly head to the main entrance at 10 a.m. when the show opened and you got this massive load of people there waiting to get in. Um, so I'd suggest for next year that they have more entrance points and not uh, direct uh, thousands of people to this one bottleneck and make them wait there. But it's still, from my point of view, it was very interesting to see those uh, small changes because the World Money Fair, and I can imagine that a lot of uh, listeners that are following the podcast, they have ne never been to Berlin. I always used to call it the, the Groundhog Day of Numismatics because for years it was almost a, a ritualized event it was always the same and now they put those small changes in small changes at the entrance small changes on the inside uh, on the the design the layout of the main entrance hall um, and that was for me it was very interesting to see because i 
actually I went in their communication it was all about change we got we got a new CEO we got a new corporate design and everything is new and then you get there and you see well it didn't change too much here but then you realize those small changes and um, it's, it occurs to me that those small changes might lead to larger changes in the future yeah, this was my 15th World Money Fair in Berlin, uh, starting with the 2006 show. And it really felt like a lot, really, of all the others. Uh, they had the media forum, except they renamed it. Uh, they yeah. had uh, the technical forum. They had, uh, you know, as as in several years past, uh, a lot of the um, mint uh, machinery suppliers, that kind of thing, uh, you know, Grebner, Schuler, uh, Spalik, some of these uh, yep. companies doing uh, making presses and the machinery that is used to color coins or the companies that make the blanks. They had those in another hall, which has been the case for several years now. Yeah. Um, it felt the same, although it was it was interesting. The main show floor usually used to have. A, a strip of about three or four rows, I think four rows of mm -hmm. Tables. table dealers. Yeah. And, and those got pulled out uh, for want of uh, using more professional um, booths, more, um, you know, it, it looks like a traditional trade show. Somebody who's used yep. to the U.S. show where there's clear sight lines, you can see from one side of the floor across the other. This is totally anathema, totally different uh, from mm -hmm. that strategy, which does make security uh, have to work a little more. But security was working. We both saw uh, incidents where folks who were um, found to have allegedly stolen things were asked not so nicely to to remove themselves <laughs> <Yes>. from, <laughs> from, yeah. from the hall. And so it's an added challenge, but one that uh, they seem to be up to the task in doing. Now, there yeah, was absolutely. the addition this year of... Uh, a seating area, which is nice. A lot of the a lot of the attendees maybe don't have the stamina to walk such a big hall without yep. needing a little break. That was new. That was different. But for the most part, it felt the same. Uh, some of that may come down to the fact that we got to see a lot of this, the folks that we love seeing every year. Um, and and some there's always new people in the mix. I'm amazed uh, at the number of folks the number of new mints in the last year or so uh, yep. we've had, we've had bull mint come on board. We've had Aster mint come on board. Yep. There's other mints that a lot of folks haven't heard of in the U S maybe mint XXI or mint 21 mm -hmm. Dansk mint. Um, it's not your typical show setting. Uh, I've always described this as it's a place where you can meet everybody involved in the process from the coin designers to the machine manufacturers yep to the mints selling the new coins to dealers selling classic coins and, and everything in between. And that remained the case today. What was the, um, this year, what was the, uh, what was something really fun and cool that you saw on the floor um, that really piqued your interest or, or stood out? Yeah, I would say for example, the, the uh, each year they got those special editions that come out at the uh, at the show. So, for example, there's a sh um, show Panda Medal, and this year they also had a Kokabura special striking with a Privy Mark with the Ample Man from Berlin. 
which I think quickly sold out and prices on the internet uh, have skyrocketed uh, since then. Um, and especially this Kukabura coin was uh, very interesting to me because not only has it a German privy mark, but it shows the Queen Elizabeth II with the year date of 2024. And on the regular 2024 Kukabura, you will already find uh, King Charles. So you got two versions of the Kukabura of 2024. And that's something, yeah, that the coin nerd, the bullion nerd likes very much. And I saw a lot of long queues there. And um, how you, you're following that market now, um, the the Panda Metal, you you saw, and it sold out, I think, within a, an hour or two or something like yes. that. Yes, yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. And some of the mints had daily allowances for um, their sets, right? There was um, point sets, yeah. Bel Belgian mint, the Dutch mint, yeah. Dutch and the mint, Japan, Japan, yeah, yeah, and, and also then, the Spanish. This uh, Spanish also had a coin set this year. Uh, the Germans had a coin card for several years. That, of course, for the for the American listeners, that all takes place in the field of euro coins and two euro coins which is still one of the most popular, or I would say the uh, the most popular collecting area. Um, and of course, modern bullion coins, which you already mentioned, those new mints, uh, especially from Eastern Europe, Southeastern Europe, crazy quality coins that are minted at a bullion price, but they have the design and the quality of a proof collector's coin. That's something that also people in the U.S. should pay close attention to and see how that develops because those they are all private mints. They start, they, they they pop up from the middle of nowhere. They have cool marketing strategies, and so I would say they can overtake several European mints at a very high pace. So that's definitely something that was uh, very interesting, very attractive this year. I should note, and probably CoinWorld will have a story on it here uh, soon, uh, my only purchase of the show, other than trading 50 cents with you for a uh, Tesla uh, coin from Croatia, is it? Um, yes. <laughs> was was the new one-ounce silver bullion coin from San Marino with a Peregrine yep. Falcon. Uh, that's fun. You, we're seeing a lot of the traditional, over the last three years, five years, a lot of the traditional mints, are expanding their scope. You know, you see Italy in the last five years has been putting color on coins, glow-in-the-dark mm -hmm. coins. Um, you know, yeah. a place like uh, Italy always has great artistic merit in their coins. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they're they're adding that little something extra to try to compete with somebody like the Canadian Mint or the Australian yeah. Mint. Uh, or the Perth Mint of Australia, or Austrian Mint, which has the Niobium series, and, and Austrian has done their own glow-in-the-dark series. I mean, it's interesting to see. Uh, and then you have somebody like, uh, you know, the Hungarian Mint, and I love those folks. Mm -hmm. They're nice people. Um, their, their program is necessarily focused on national ideas and uh, things of national importance, and, and maybe that doesn't have 
the global resonance like some of these others, but uh, they they showed us, uh, or me anyway, uh, a coin for uh, a horse. That should uh, be popular. They also celebrate the anniversary of the Rubik's Cube this mm -hmm. year, which um, is not the first time they've, that's actually mm -hmm. the second time they'll have celebrated the Rubik's Cube on a coin. Um, there's just there's just so much coming out of this. And, and the thing that I'm, I sort of, I get reminded when I go to these shows is how many people, how many smart, hardworking people there are that are behind all these programs and projects. Yeah. yeah. Um, whether it's, I mean, I found out about, and I haven't seen this, uh, but apparently the Royal Mint uh, in the last few years, five years maybe, did a program uh, with Hello Kitty for their mm -hmm. uh, distributor in Japan, Taisei, which is, you know, yep. Taisei was behind the Hello Kitty program with the French Mint 15 years ago or so. Um, for somebody who especially, you know, I'm, I'm thinking most of our audience is sitting in the United States, although I know there's others outside. We thank you uh, wherever you are. But um, for somebody who's used to the, you know, the, they don't see the, the broad landscape. They just don't even see that there's so many coins out there coming out. I just learned uh, recently in the last few days of the show uh, about a, a coin for Audrey Hepburn, giant five ounce silver coin. There's, uh, there's so many things, a, a neat coin uh, with a flight, celebrating a flight anniversary or something, and it has propellers on the coin. Um, just the Yeah, enormity. there's actually it's a lot going on. And also, you, you're making a good point with the mints. Um, from my point of view, a lot of this, those traditional mints in Europe, they start opening up um, for new designs, new topics, uh, licensed topics. Um, and try to become brands in order to survive. So if you have this in mind, the, the Royal Mint, the British Royal Mint is now called the original maker because they had been making coins since Jesus Christ. And they now have uh, licensed topics. Or the German Mints, uh, who will this year for the first time in history have a 11 euro coin for like 11 members of a soccer team for the European soccer championships. If you had told me this two years ago, I would just, yeah, call you crazy and, and say, is this a nightmare or something? But it's happening. Or just think about the Swiss Mint from Switzerland, a very, very traditional mint from my personal standpoint, very boring for a long time. And now they start doing crazy things. And that's also that makes from from me that is that's the beauty of world coins and especially having a close look at European coins because you've got so many different mints with so many traditions doing new things and trying to leave their mark on the on the um, on, on the map. And when you say crazy, that's that's in a good way. I mean, this is absolutely yeah. <laughs> these uh, these mints are challenging themselves uh, yeah. both technologically and then, as you note, in a marketing capacity. The the German mints that transformation I think really began uh, four years ago when yes. and you you had a story 2020, about it. Yeah. At, at the twenty twenty World Money Fair when they um, unified under this. Um, 
Munza Deutschland, I think, yeah. brand. And, um, you know, you started seeing uh, the, the the developing of the polymer ring in the coins uh, that was several years in the making. Uh, and then they added color on coins. You know, Germany, I've now been there 16 times. It's a great place, but their coins for a long time had been very traditional, very national yeah. focused, very uh, limited in scope. And now they have created programs that have some appeal uh, to a broader audience, putting insects yep. and animals and yep. and things on. Uh, and everybody does it a little differently, but, mm -hmm. you know, na <laughs> national mints are often bound by, uh, you know, they have to hew to tradition, hew to, um, I don't want to say bureaucracy, but there's, you know, you, you can't have, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's very abnormal to have, some of the national mints push the envelope like the private mints. The private mints have yep. more more wiggle room, if you will. Uh, yeah. But we're, we see, uh, I can't remember who it was, uh, the gangster series of coins with Al Capone. And, um, you know, there, there's just a lot more freedom and creativity that, that is out on the market. And if you're not observing it in a hyper-focused way, you you would not know the uh, but a, a tiniest fraction one one thousandth of the coins that are out there today there's just so much being put into the marketplace lots of it yeah. low mintage lots of it um you know it's filtered across so many markets and you know a dealer in the u.s might get 10 here and 10 you know th there might be five dealers and they get 10 coins each and they might, you know, there's some selling into Germany, some selling into uh, Eastern Europe, some selling into Asia. It's such a diffuse market. It's spread out. Uh, and you really have to be on top of it to, to catch those um, lightning in a bottle releases that explode yeah. uh, on the scene <laughs> and then and soar into the aftermarket. Yeah, absolutely. So any other thoughts about the show uh, and, and your perceptions and maybe where the market is or where it's going? I think the the, the uh, coin collecting market in Europe is still extremely strong. The bullion market has come down in the last year. That was very interesting for us to hear that uh, most huge bullion dealers, and in Germany we have several uh, trade companies that only sell bullion coins, gold, silver, modern bullion coins, uh, that their revenue f crashed down by 90% in, in the last year just because the gold price is so high. People are hit by inflation. And of course, at a high inflation, they should buy gold. But if they don't have any money left, then no money for gold. Um, that was interesting to hear. And yeah, I would say we in the in Europe can learn a lot from you guys in the US and your coin shows, especially the uh, educational aspect of the show. I still didn't see a lot of this in Berlin this year, so that you could learn something or you could have a talk, presentation, workshop kind of thing. Um, but it's I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what they have in store for next year and also of course see a lot of the listeners and readers of coin world again and yeah of course uh, my colleague and friend Jeff 
uh, again in 2025 in Berlin. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, being here today and running through the uh, recapping the show with me. Uh, had a great time. Lots of story ideas, lots of great meetings. Um, it's it's check out CoinWorld uh, in the magazine. Maybe some of that will make its way to CoinWorld.com over the coming weeks and certainly some of this in the coming months. Uh, there's some things uh, that are really Really exciting to come out of the show, and uh, it was great to see you again and um, everyone else there. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, until next year, I would say. Cheers. And that was my discussion with good friend and um, former Coin World uh, contributor, Sebastian Wachowski, um, about the... World Money Fair 2024 in Berlin, uh, which has now ended, and we pivot toward the 2025 edition and some certainly some more changes that are on the way for this massive and massively important show. I think it, I mean, just by listening to what you, you two had to say about this, I think there's obviously ample opportunity that those of our listeners who are also Coin World subscribers. We're going to get a chance to see some of this information show up in print, and uh, we'll kind of start the groundwork here to see what we can do to spread out the messages as we continue to build up the momentum throughout this hobby. And uh, certainly we'll be hoping to have some of those uh, those ideas manifest themselves into our monthly issues or perhaps even into our weekly issues. So I, I advise all the listeners, uh, you, normally you say stay tuned, and we of course want you to stay tuned, but also keep checking the pages here for more of the coverage that stems from the activity that was seen as part of the World Money Fair in Berlin. And once again, coming up next week, got a very special uh, podcast going to be happening here. Was, uh, we will be talking about commemorative coins in the U.S. and a very special program and what the benefit of the commemorative coin surcharges is going to be. So we invite you to come back and be a part of that discussion as well. That's next week on the Coin World Podcast. But in the meantime, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Coin World Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorldPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.